keeping good company if I didn't say happy Thanksgiving. And uh, I think three people said happy Thanksgiving, and no one has responded. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. There we go. Okay, so maybe they aren't all sleeping because of turkey uh, yet. Uh, anyways, it is Thanksgiving weekend. I want to start this morning's message by asking a question related to Thanksgiving. And the question is, when you think of Thanksgiving, what comes to mind? What does Thanksgiving mean to you? Uh, I'm sure turkey comes to some people's minds. If you were in the States especially, you would uh, have football possibly come to mind. For a lot of people, Thanksgiving is the kickoff to the autumn season. It means outdoor work, uh, harvesting uh, some of the last things out of the garden, uh, lawn work, raking leaves. Uh, It's a time for family and and friends to get together and to enjoy a meal. It's a time for a good turkey-induced nap, like Brian has uh, already uh, alluded to. One of my favorite things about Thanksgiving, uh, except for the last two years now, uh, has been the Norwood Fair, which I'm sure a bunch of you have gone to from time to time. We would go to the Norwood Fair typically on the Saturday, uh, and then we would go to Allison's dad's place uh, for Thanksgiving, our first turkey of the weekend, Thanksgiving dinner. But uh, that has been uh, canceled, the Norwood Fair, for the last two years. So uh, in rebellion this year, we had Dad's, uh, Allison's dad and uh, his wife come to our place, and we had shish kebabs just to be rebellious uh, because we couldn't go to the, to the Norwood Fair. Uh, this year, it's been interesting. Most of my customers with my business are in the U.S. Uh, and this year, more than any other year, I've had uh, American customers of mine ask me, with total confusion, why do we have Thanksgiving this weekend? Uh, probably shocked that we, like the rest of the world, aren't just following everything that they do. Why wouldn't we have it in November when they have it? And so I explained uh, to a number of my customers the origins uh, of their Thanksgiving and the origins of our Thanksgiving. In 1621, uh, the Pilgrims in Plymouth Plantation, uh, Massachusetts, uh, they had what is considered to be the first American Thanksgiving uh, where they had a meal uh, and they thanked God uh, that the drought had ended and they had a bountiful harvest. But it was actually... Years earlier, in 1578, that Martin Frobisher and a bunch of English explorers arrived in present-day Nunavut uh, and had what is considered to be, at least by European settlers' standpoint, uh, the first official Canadian Thanksgiving, where they celebrated uh, and were thankful for their safe arrival in their ship Uh, into Nineveh, uh, and they celebrated communion together, uh, and they enjoyed your favorite Thanksgiving meal and mine, salted beef, biscuits, and mushy peas. Uh, So that is the origins of the first Canadian Thanksgiving, and eventually uh, it became uh, standard that the second Monday of every year would be the Canadian Thanksgiving, Uh, And the Canadian Parliament actually mandated that there would be one day of the year that would be a time for general thanksgiving to Almighty God uh, for the bountiful harvest that Canada has been blessed with. Now, I want to fast forward it to today 
And, and I'm pretty certain that the majority of Canadians don't follow that mandate to a T. Uh, certainly, uh, it's a day of being thankful, but for a lot of people, it's being thankful to someone for, for something. Uh, but it's a day where we get together with family and friends, and it's, it's a day where many of us enjoy a festive meal. And this year, Thanksgiving seems really special, uh, because if you I'm sure we all are aware, uh, for many of us, last year Thanksgiving was canceled. Uh, and this year, we get to celebrate Thanksgiving a lot like we were able to celebrate it in years uh, gone by. Uh, because of all the, the protocols and, and the cautions last year, many people just forego uh, any kind of a Thanksgiving celebration. This morning, we're continuing in the series that we started a number of weeks ago, uh, Foundations of our faith are faith foundations beyond the pandemic. Uh, And we've looked at each week certain truths or foundations of our faith that even COVID can't change. And so this week, we're looking at what we believe about Thanksgiving. Thought it made sense that on a day where the calendar reminds us and, and kind of forces us to, to think about Thanksgiving this weekend, uh, that that would be the topic uh, that we look at. But the reality is, there's a lot of people where thankfulness, and especially and specifically thankfulness to God, is not at the forefront of their thoughts and certainly not their priorities. And so it's an important question when we ask that question, what do we believe about thanksgiving? And the first thing I want you to know is that thanksgiving, being thankful, gratefulness is a prominent theme uh, in Scripture. And although it's noble that we set aside a a, a very specific day of the calendar year where we are to cultivate a heart of thanksgiving, the Bible has so much to say about thanksgiving and thankfulness and gratitude that one day of the year just simply can't handle it. You see, God's intent was never that we just be thankful one day of the year. Rather, his intent and the clear teaching of Scripture is that thankfulness, thanksgiving, being thankful, gratitude, be an everyday marker of a Christian's life. That that we should be characterized as being people who are thankful. Even when we find ourselves in situations where it doesn't seem that being thankful is warranted, is expected, or makes sense. Now, like, uh, really, I think, every week so far in this series, each one of us who has shared has, has mentioned that to totally exhaust the topic, what we believe about the future, what we believe about the church, what we believe about the mission of the church, what we believe about the gospel, and now today, what do we believe about Thanksgiving? To totally exhaust that topic and cover every point uh, would take a very long time. In fact, by the time I got through with it, you would be exhausted, and I'm sure none of you would be very thankful. And so I'm not going to do that to you this morning. 
Uh, but I think it's important that we do highlight some of the general points concerning thanksgiving that we find in Scripture. And then I want to end by landing on one very specific, certain area concerning thanksgiving. So the first thing, and I've already mentioned it, that we need to know about thanksgiving is that it is a prominent theme in Scripture. And throughout Scripture, we find commands to give thanks to God. Uh, Just read through the psalm. The one that Linda read this morning, Psalm 106, Psalm 108, give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to the Lord. Paul in Colossians says that we should be overflowing with thankfulness. And so we are commanded to give thanks, to be thankful, and very specifically, be thankful to God. Scripture is very clear that we are to be a thankful people, that we are to give thanks to one another for for the benefits and the blessings and the good things that we do for each other. But ultimately, our thanks goes to God. The second thing is, is that this is not some kind of arbitrary command. We're not just to be thankful and given no reason for why we are to be thankful. Scripture, again, is filled with reasons why we owe, we are indebted, God is worthy of our thanksgiving. Thank God for his steadfast love, his goodness, his deliverance. Uh, We looked at what we believe about the gospel We are to be thankful to God for the good news of the gospel. That while we were yet sinners, while we were at enmity with God, while we were not in a right relationship with God, God demonstrated his love and his mercy and his grace and his righteousness and his justice by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross, taking our penalty upon himself, paying the price for our sin. And when we put our trust in our faith, in the person of Jesus and what he's done for us. We're told that we're forgiven, that we receive eternal life, that we receive, uh, where we become joint heirs uh, with him, that his righteousness is credited to our account. And Paul says, as I said in Colossians, we should be overflowing with thankfulness at what God has done for us. So we are to give thanks to God. We're commanded to do it. And there's every good reason that you can imagine that we should give thanks to God. Another thing about thanksgiving, thankfulness, is it's good for us. It's good to give thanks. And James uh, James says that every good and perfect gift comes to us from the Father above. And God wants us to learn how to be thankful for the things that he's given to us. He wants us to cultivate a grateful heart for all the blessings that are in our life. Because if we don't cultivate this heart of thanksgiving, if we don't recognize the fact that everything we have comes from him, what happens is we we start to become arrogant and proud. As if somehow everything that we have, everything that we've achieved, everything that we've attained, maybe even our right relationship with God, somehow we have, a, we have this, this conclusion, this, this, this thought that, that somehow it's because of something that I did. And so by giving thanks to God, it gives us a right focus. It gives us a proper perspective when we find ourselves in relationship with God, as we find ourselves coming into our, His presence. He is the giver of all good gifts. Everything that we have comes from Him. 
And when we make it a habit of thanking God, even for those things that are so easy to take for granted. And I thought of this this morning. How often I've sat beside my child, my boys or my girls' bed and prayed with them at bedtime and said some of the same things over and over and over. And, and, and I almost feel like it's redundant. And yet, when we give thanks to God for all those things that we take for granted. Again, it gives us a proper perspective. And we come to realize we owe our very existence to God. And for that, we give thanks. Another thing that we learn from Scripture, and this is an interesting one, and, and, and i got to give you a Bible verse to, to prove it, uh, in Ephesians uh, 5, verse 4. Thanksgiving is to replace sin. Thanksgiving is to replace sin. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 5, verse 4. Go to verse 3. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. That's what needs to be coming out of our mouth, other than a lot of those things that Paul lists. So thanksgiving is to replace sin. And and, and along that same line, Bible makes it very clear that unthankfulness, ingratitude, is a sin with severe repercussions. Turn to Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, Paul goes into to really great detail to describe the downward spiral of a person or, or of a people group. And he lists all the, and we're not going to read all the verses, but if you read all the verses, he gives this, this huge list of, of sinful acts, rebellious acts. And it's interesting, one of the things that he lists. Look at verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what being, what Sorry, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. And and listen carefully. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. You see, when a person or when a people are thankful to God... They're able to retain a sensitivity to the Lord's presence. They're able to function the way that God has designed us to function. But 
Paul says here, when a person or when a people reject God, when they fail to acknowledge Him, they fail to give Him the due that He deserves, when they fail to be thankful, they become proud. They become arrogant. They become cold-hearted. They, 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 they come to believe that they deserve all the praise for everything that they've achieved and everything that they have attained. God's no longer on the throne of the life. They've put themselves on the throne of the life. They truly believe that their destiny is in their own hand. And Paul says when a people or a person is not thankful and they don't acknowledge God and instead they put themselves on the throne of their own life. God's response is this. Have it your way. Go in the direction that you have chosen. But I warn you, it is a downward spiral towards destruction. And where did it all begin? not acknowledging God, not giving Him the due that He deserved, not being thankful, and rejecting God sitting upon the throne. Unthankfulness and ingratitude is a sin. The second last point, before I get to the, the last point, which I want to hang with for a little bit. God's people are to be characterized, are to be known as thankful people. I think it's easy to hear that and go, yeah, I agree, that makes sense. Think about it. God's people are to be known as people who are thankful. And I think that if we took a poll and asked the person on the street what they think characterizes a person who calls himself a Christian? I'm not sure being thankful or thanksgiving or gratitude may be at the top of their list. I'm thinking it might be grumpy, crusty, sour, fuddy-duddy, mean, never smiles, Paul says to Timothy that one of the characteristics of the ungodly in the end times is that they will be unthankful. God's people who have so much to be thankful for are to be those, even when the going is tough, who are thankful people who realize how much they owe and how much they've been given. That's a slapper in the face for me because I've been told at times I don't smile enough and I'm kind of crusty. God's people are to be marked and characterized for their thanksgiving. And here's the last one. Here's the one I want to hang on for a little while. I think it's a really relevant point. That we are to give thanks even in the most difficult times of our life. Somewhere in Scripture it says that we are to give thanks in all circumstances. You know, as I say that, the lack of response and expression, I realize you've got masks on. Sometimes I just wish I'd, I'd hear a little bit of anger. 
Because sometimes I feel like I'd say, you know what the Bible says? If you're a follower of God, every morning you need to pick up a bat and slam yourself in the back of the head with it. And we go, okay. The Bible tells us that we are to give thanks even when life sucks. That we are to give thanks in all circumstances. And I'm sure I'm not the only person here who's found myself in a situation where giving thanks was about the last thing that was on my mind. I think the fact that last year, for many of us, Thanksgiving in many ways was canceled wasn't too far off the mark. Because last year was horrible. There were so many things that went wrong. There was so much pain and suffering and loss and disappointment. That wasn't really a big deal for many of us that Thanksgiving got canceled. I'm sure many of us can think of times in our life where giving thanks was not at the forefront of our mind. How do you give thanks when your heart is broken? How do you give thanks when you're confused? How do you give thanks when you're angry at what's taking place in your life? How do you give thanks when you come face to face with the reality that bad things do happen to good people? I've been in leadership at this church and other churches long enough to realize that behind every smiling face, there's a story. A story of pain and suffering and disappointment. The easy thing for me to have done this morning looking at what do we believe about Thanksgiving was to have preached on Psalm 100, which I had Linda read. We could have spent this message just talking about all the reasons that we have to be thankful for His love and His goodness and His faithfulness. And it would have been like many Thanksgiving messages that you have probably heard and there's nothing wrong with those messages. But I think you get my point. That would have been the easy thing to do. Yet I can't help escape the reality that for many of us here, many watching, many who will watch this on YouTube later, many of the people that we know, this past year and a half has been filled with pain and disappointment and suffering. In fact, I can't even begin to appreciate the loss and the pain that some within our Auburn family have experienced in this past year. And I realize that for many, when they come out of these experiences of loss and disappointment and pain and suffering, if they don't understand what it meant to give thanks in all circumstances, if, if we weren't brave enough to wrestle with that thought, it just leaves us bitter and feeling resentful towards God. But the scripture doesn't change. It says that we are to give thanks in all circumstances. How do we give thanks? When the going is rough. How does it makes sense with this idea that thanksgiving isn't just a one-day-a-year thing. Rather, it's to be our lifestyle. We are to cultivate thanksgiving as a marker, as a character of our everyday life, even 
when we find ourselves in horrible situations? Maybe the first question we should answer is, who in the world said that? Give thanks in all circumstances. And who did he say it to? Well, if you guessed Paul, you probably made a safe guess because he often is the one other than Jesus because Jesus could say some pretty radical things that, that need some unraveling. But if you turn to 1 Thessalonians, uh, right at the very end of his first letter uh, to the believers at Thessalonica, we, we, we see this command of Paul's to the Thessalonians. And, and you'd imagine these, these Thessalonian believers, they must have had a really good life. Uh, you know, for Paul to be writing to them, you know, give thanks in all circumstances because it was probably easy for them. That couldn't be further from the truth. Paul founded the church in Thessalonica and it became worldwide knowledge of the radical, uh, awesome conversion of, of these people from Thessalonica. Their conversion became known around the world. But their faith in Jesus came at a great cost to them. And they were experiencing all sorts of persecution and suffering because of their faith. And so Paul writes to them this letter to encourage them to stand firm, to stand strong, to, to persevere in their faith. And then he gets to the end of his first letter and he gives them, really, he gives them three very specific commands. Uh, as if he's, you know, like shooting a rifle at them. Bang, bang, bang. And uh, if you look at verse 16, all of a sudden, Paul brings up this idea of thanksgiving. But before that, in verse 16, it says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We don't really see it as much in the English, but the verb tense here is one of continuous action in the present. So what Paul's saying is continually rejoice. Continually be in prayer. Continually give thanks, regardless of the circumstances. And, and what makes these three commands, so some have called them the marching orders of the gospel, what makes these commands even more difficult to take is the modifiers. If Paul had said, rejoice sometimes, pray when you got time, give thanks when the situation warrants it, none of us would have any problem with Paul saying to the Thessalonians. But it's the modifiers. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Which, in the Greek, he's really saying, be continually praying continually. And always give thanks in all circumstances. And a clue to how this is even possible is at the end there. He says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. These are impossible commands. If it wasn't for the indwelling spirit that comes into those of us who have put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, we don't have a hope in keeping up with these commands. But God has given us his spirit to aid us and to enable us to, 
to at least come close in obeying these commands. And so Paul says to them specifically for our purposes this morning, be continually giving thanks in all things. For this is the will of God. This is how you were meant to operate and function. This is God's design for you. That thanksgiving be a regular habit, a constant characteristic of your everyday life as a believer. But in all circumstances, like really? In all circumstances? Like we just listed off a whole bunch of bad things that we've experienced and we can think about. Really? In all circumstances? And the key here to understanding what Paul is saying is to watch very carefully how Paul has worded this command. It's a very short command, and yet people have misunderstood it for centuries. And a misunderstanding, a, a, a failure to see how carefully Paul has worded this sentence has led to some really bad theology over the years and to even worse practices. Look at what Paul says. Give thanks in all circumstances. See, the key is realizing what Paul isn't saying. Paul isn't saying give thanks for all circumstances. Because if that's what Paul was saying, what I would think he's telling me to do is to turn my brain off and to numb myself to reality. But what Paul is saying is give thanks in all circumstances. And there's a huge difference. Listen to the uh, words of a commentator. Uh, He says, To give thanks for all things is a matter of surrendering to those things in a passive way. To give thanks in all things is a bold act of victorious, overcoming faith that recognizes that all is not as it should be. That God is still on the throne and is able to bring about good through what seems so bad. And one thing I've learned from Scripture about prayer that's helped me so much is I truly believe that God wants honesty in our prayer, which kind of sounds obvious, but in practice, maybe not so. Especially when it comes to this area. God wants honesty. I don't think God wants us in the midst of of the worst that life can throw at is to say, God, thank you for this pain and suffering in my life. I really like it. Because that's not being honest and that's being fake. Rather, from the examples I see in Scripture, what God desires is honesty. God wants us to come to Him and say, God, I don't like What's happening to me? My world is turned upside down. My heart is broken. I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand why you're allowing what is happening to happen. And maybe you're going, Brent, that that sounds too radical. That's harsh. 
That, that's not how we approach God. And yet I see time and time again in Scripture that that's how men of God brought their appeals and their hurt and their disappointments and their lament to God. One of my favorite passages in Scripture that I've shared many times with you, but Psalm 13. We don't even know what's going on in David's life. But he cries out to God, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes, my foes will rejoice when I fall. Another favorite of mine, Habakkuk. We know what's going on in Habakkuk's life. He's ticked off that God's allowing his own people to carry on in sin and he's doing nothing about it. And then God says, well, here's what I'm going to do. And he reveals his plan to Habakkuk and then Habakkuk's ticked off and totally doesn't understand why God would choose to deal with his people the way that he's going to deal with his people. Far be it from God to, to operate that way. And so he cries out to God, and, and I'll just read one of his complaints. It literally is what it says, Habakkuk's complaint. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. God, I don't understand what you're doing and it hurts and I want to understand, but I don't understand. My world's flipped upside down and I don't get it. God, what's happening? And that was the honesty that Habakkuk, and you can look at Job, and you can look at Paul, and you can look at Joseph and others, that, that Mo, uh, Moses, yes, who complained to God because they didn't understand what God was trying to accomplish and why he was doing things the way that he did. But the beauty of these prayers is that David and Habakkuk didn't stay there. In the midst of their difficult situation, faced with things that they didn't like, they didn't understand, They called upon the well of knowledge of what they knew to be true about God, his character, what he'd done in the past, what he had promised for the future. And in the midst of their lament and their crying out to God, they were able to conclude those prayers with words of trust and belief, praise which goes hand in hand with thanksgiving. In Psalm 13, David says, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. And Habakkuk, at the end in chapter 3, one of the most beautiful poems that we find in Scripture. Habakkuk 3, verse 17 after these complaints to God, and then he, he, uh, Habakkuk draws upon what he knows to be true about God, and he says, I'm just going to sit and wait. 
And then in, in chapter 3, we, at the very end, we, we read these wonderful words. Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree doesn't bud, and there are no grape vine, as grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. And what Habakkuk is describing is that when everything in life that we just take for granted and we just expect to happen fails, even when all of that happens, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. You see, David and Habakkuk drew upon what they knew to be true about God, and they put their trust and their faith in that God. And so that even in the midst of their difficult situations, they could find reason to give thanks to God. And the same is true for us. When we find ourselves in the midst of life's difficult situations, God isn't expecting us to thank him for these horrific things that might be happening, this terrible loss that we may have experienced. But what he is wanting from us is to draw upon our our knowledge and experience of who he is and what he has done. And to be able to say to him, My life is turned upside down. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't like it. But I know you are still on the throne. I know you're still in control. I know that you have decreed a good purpose to come from these horrible things that are taking place to me. And as Brian mentioned in his prayer this morning, that you can take those things and use them to conform me into the image of your son. And for those things... I can give thanks. But you see, the key to be able to doing that is that you have to make it a habit of yours to grow in your understanding of who God is and what he's like, what he's done for you, his promises for you. Because if you find yourself in the midst of life difficult situations and the well is dry... There's not much to pull upon, to draw upon. A couple of weeks ago, Jack was off with his friends dirt biking, and I, I went to, to meet him and then to drive home with him. And, and I knew that he'd been riding all day, and I knew that his tank was probably close to empty. And uh, I let him go in ahead of me, and as we're getting close to home, I could sense his bike was sputtering. And I think a couple times he had to stop. And finally, we made it to our driveway, and literally his bike stopped. He totally ran out of gas. I think for some of us who call ourselves followers of God, our tank's on empty. And we find ourselves in these situations, and we just sputter. We don't have much to, to draw upon, because we're not making it a discipline and a habit to get into God's word and to understand and grow in our knowledge of him so that when the tough times come, we know those things that we can draw upon and we can rely upon and we can put our trust in and we know who God is. He doesn't change. He's faithful. His promises will come true. He's already written the final chapter. We win in the end. Our hope is in heaven. We're joint heirs with Jesus. The power that rose Jesus from the dead is available to us. All of these things we can draw upon, but we don't know it. If it's not in here, if it's not in there, we'll sputter just like Jack's bike did. You know, I often, uh, whenever I'm in an airplane, I'm amazed at flying above the clouds and knowing the clouds are beneath you 
and, the, and it's all blue sky and, and, and the sun is just shining so bright. And sometimes I wonder what people beneath the clouds are experiencing. Maybe it's raining. Maybe it's dark and dreary. Maybe they think that the sun has abandoned them. But riding above the clouds, I'm totally aware the sun hasn't, the sun's right there. It's shining as bright as ever. It's just the clouds are obscuring it. That's sometimes how I think our life is. The clouds of life circumstances obscure us from the shining light of God, His beauty, His majesty, His person. And sometimes the clouds are so dark that we think God's abandoned us. But He's still there. Nothing changes. We just have to grow in our understanding of Him and what He's promised and and what He's done and, and what He will do for us and know that even though those clouds are there, we have so much to be thankful for. That even in the cloudy days of our life, we can give thanks in all circumstances. Yeah.